0: Welcome back to another episode of This Week in College Viability. It's September 18th, 2023. My name is Gary Stocker, and we continue today on our journey to inform college students and their families and faculty and staff and, and many others about what is really going on inside higher education. Of course, the focus is on college finances and viability, but we also try to shine the light on the many transparency issues or lack of transparency from college leaders for both public and private colleges. I'm going to start off today with an article from uh, New York Times Magazine, and it talks about Tulane University down in New Orleans and about declining male college enrollment. And This is from Casey Bubnash, Bubnash from, from Manola.com on September 12th. And it's about the male-female mix. And if you haven't heard, uh, the ratio is way out of whack generally along the lines of 60% females and 40% males in many colleges. Now, I, I don't really like doing the social stuff, but I I can make the case, I can make the argument here, that this is really a college, Tulane in this case, responding to market pressures, because it almost certainly has a financial component, tuition dollars, and a social component, I'm, I'm guessing, not enough guys for the girls to date. And while one higher education consultant told the magazine, the New York Times magazine, that Tulane has not actively been trying, I guess that's important, has not actively been trying to shift its gender ratio to more males, some female students, it was reported, said they felt like their male counterparts were, were not held to the same academic standards, right? We'll, we'll, we'll let them have that opinion. Now, from my perspective, if a college wants to go easy on the males, and they think they can get away with it, let them try. And it's, it's their business, their market. They can do anything they want. But there was a follow-up story that was referenced in the, in the NOLA.com story, and this was from Susan Dominus. I think that was the original story out of the New York Times Magazine. And the, the headline for this one, the title for this one, reads, there was definitely a thumb on the scale to get boys. And she makes the case, Ms. Dominus from the New York Times, makes the case that declining male enrollment has led many colleges to adopt an unofficial policy. And we're going to call that affirmative action for men, using Ms. Dominus's words. And a couple of quotes here that kind of tie in. This is from the article from Susan Dominus in the New York Times, Saurav Guha, who was assistant dean of admissions at Wesleyan University, and I don't see the state on that one, from 2000 to 2000, 2001 to 2004, says, We were just a little more forgiving and lenient when they were boys and when they were girls. Again, this is the admission process. You'd be like, I'm kind of on the fence about this one, but we need boys. All right, that's the first quote. Kind of gives a feel for the perspective that college admissions folks have. And then Jason England who is a professor of English at Carnegie Mellon University, who worked in admissions there also from 2004 to 2006, says to the New York Times reporter, the process sometimes pained him, especially when he saw an outstanding young woman from a disadvantaged background losing out to a young man who came from privilege. The understanding is, he goes on to say, the understanding is, if we're going to have close to a 50-50 split, remember the split now is about 60-40, then we need to admit more men and women are going to suffer. Now, I'm guessing that these two anecdotal stories from these two admissions folks uh, are just the New, York, the, New York, the New York Times use them to spice up the story. But it takes a very small leap of logic to, to believe that this already continues to happen, given the economic necessities of admitting tuition-paying students, no matter their gender or, or or qualifications. And then John Marcus moving on to another story in the Heckinger report, and Heckinger does really good stuff. John Marcus, in uh, this is a couple of years ago, in April 2021, this came back through my email Google alerts, uh, indicated that some universities, this is back around the pandemic time, right after that. Some universities' response to budget woes make faculty teach more courses. All right. Again, business decision. Colleges can do whatever they want. I kind of mm-hmm. think that if this continues to be the case, and there's only anecdotal evidence to suggest so, that college faculty will not be pleased. But let me give you a perspective, because I think I've shared before, I'm a college faculty member. I'm adjunct faculty a small private college, medium-sized private college here in St. Louis. And I teach three online graduate courses in healthcare topics, and the online teaching itself is not very time-consuming. The preparation of online courses is ridiculously time-consuming. So it's 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 not really the the term by term, semester by semester. That's a cumbersome. But to create a new online course, probably to create any course online or otherwise, takes a lot of talent, a lot of time, and talent to do it correctly. But keep an eye on that. We're going to see if colleges try and make more ends meet by taking their highly paid full-time faculty and ask them to teach more courses. Now, I would have some concerns if this were the case. We're already seeing really poor graduation rates for and six-year undergraduate graduation rates for many colleges, too many colleges. I worry that making the faculty teach more courses might make those graduation numbers even worse. And then on to the U.S. News and World Report, those world-famous rankings of colleges. This story is from Jessica Blake from Inside Higher Education. And Miss Blake's headline is, U.S. News Rankings, Not the Behemoth, Perceived. Now, let's put this into perspective from college viability. The U.S. News and World Report is a big deal for, I don't know, 50, maybe 100 colleges, the top colleges, the 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 Yales, the Harvards, the Penn States, the Ohio States, the UCLAs, USC's across the country. But does it really matter if your college, <laughs> not in that group, is the 245th best college or the 321st best college? I don't know that it does. I, I did notice really over quite a period of time that many colleges use some kind of U.S. News and World Report regional rankings, And make what I'm going to suggest are misleading claims, even though they're technically correct, that they are one of the best. They are so heavily qualified as to not really make a difference. It's kind of like me saying, I am the best pickleball player. And yes, I play pickleball. I am the best pickleball player on my street who is older than 60 and doesn't like pizza with vegetables. It's so heavily qualified. It doesn't mean anything yet. Colleges and their endless battle to try and do business by PR, do exactly the same thing in trying to make claims not necessarily representative from what the U.S. News and World Report try and do with the rankings. If you've not read Ron Lieber, Ron Lieber's book, The Price You Pay for College, it was about two years ago he, he was released, and Ron Lieber is the finance columnist for the New York Times. He's got a new service out, and I'll talk about that in a second. But like I have done many times, and I'm guessing all too many times in the future, Ron does a really good job about helping us share with the market, share with families, share with students, share with stakeholders, really what the pricing model is in almost all private and public colleges. And I'm going to read from Lieber's article, and I'll tell you what he's got going. By calling these discounts, and that's all they are from colleges, by calling these discounts merit aid or presidential scholarships or anything fancy, they make parents and teenagers feel good about themselves, and often, leave a right, you should. Good grades lead to more merit aid, also known as discounts, and can be worth a whole lot of money, and let me qualify that, less money paid to the college because you got the discount. He goes on to write, many colleges offer merit discounts, to students with middling grades. Competition, uh, competition, Lieber writes, for students at all but the most rejective in the top 50 to 100 colleges that I referenced. Competition for these students is so fierce, and colleges need to make their revenue goals, and so merit aid or scholarships by discounting is how they do it. Now, I've said this before, Lieber doesn't, but let me add this. In almost all cases, there is no cash account for merit aid or scholarships. There are nobody's transferring funds from a merit aid account to a or a scholarship account to your son or my son or my daughter's tuition account. It is simply a discount called something fancy like Ron Lieber describes. And what I mentioned before, Lieber has just released a course on how to get more merit aid. And I'm gonna put a link to that course in the in the show notes. I do notice it lists at about $300, $299, but it does offer ways to get merit aid for your student. I'll put it in the links in the show notes for you to access and take a look at. Wartburg College. I believe that's in Virginia, I'd have to check. To reduce tuition by 45%, boost aid for students. The headline reads, from the WCF Courier. I don't know what WCF stands for. Now, I've I've previously noted, I think quite a few times, uh, a lot of it on LinkedIn postings, about the illusory value of lowering tuition discounts by massive amounts and calling it a new lower price. It is the age-old story we talked about earlier today of high tuition price, high discount model. And some of you may recall me talking about a college president who shared that his parents had told him, and on more than one occasion, that they prefer a high price, high discount, call it scholarships, call it merit aid, model, because it less, lets them boast about their children's scholarships. Again, nothing wrong with that, especially for the students. Um, but here's the challenge. And I've said this time and time again. And at Warburg, the new tuition the model will apply to returning students. But what if Wartburg's competitors just discount their high tuition price even more? So, of course, since we always go to the data here at College Viability, I did the, mat, the back of the napkin math on this new pricing model from Wartburg College, because I've seen other colleges try this marketing gimmick, and that's all it is. And I believe almost without fail, I have found that students were typically better off with the high price, high discount model. To the data we go, Wartburg's list price for tuition was about $45,000. I'm taking some poetic license here. And their discount, I think it was referenced in the story, was 55% on average. Do the math and you get a total price, discounted price of $24,750. I believe the folks at Wartburg are proposing a $25,000 list price, new list price, lower list price, Let's do the math here, 25,000 minus 24,750, it's a wash, it's $250 less with a high discount, with a high price, high discount model. This is just yet again, an example of a college trying to do business via PR. And so we go to a quote from Rebecca Eritzman, who's the Wartburg College president. She tells us that families often make decisions about colleges and universities based on published tuition prices without really knowing about the scholarships and financial aid packages that significantly impact sticker price. Now, she's correct on that. Yet I still have to give President Erisman and Wartburg College today's I tricked you award. It's, it's There's nothing different. They're just trying to do the same pricing and calling it something else. Feel free to do it but that's why we're here to point out those inconsistencies and the lack of transparency. And let's be absurd with this. Let's create our own, play on play words here, our own viability college. And I'm gonna make myself president. And so here is our headline, Viability College President Gary Stocker today announced that the college will lower tuition from 45,000 to $5,000. Stocker added, added in this fictional quote, our faculty and staff has all, have also agreed to a 90% wage cut so that more students will come to Viability College. Folks, at some point, colleges, many colleges, like Wartburg, as a basic business model, you have to generate positive net cash from operations. If Wartburg and those many, many other colleges are not able to do that, cost cutting will start or continue. Not the 90% I teased about, but it's the same business concept. And you know what it'll look like? The L word layoffs, the C word cutbacks in these colleges. I'm being upfront. I'm trying to point out the discrepancies. The University of Portland, and this is in Oregon. And The Beacon is the student publication for the University of Portland, a story by Riley Martinez. Now, I don't know what year in college Riley Martinez is. I'm assuming he or she. Um, is in journalism because they've done a pretty good article here. Riley Martinez gets it. He or she, I didn't see a picture with that, so I can't tell, says most students don't pay full tuition. We've talked about that many times. Instead, Riley Martinez goes on, they pay a discounted price after scholarship and grant awards. This is what the discount rate is capturing. When the discount rate is higher, Students pay, on average, a lower percentage of the university's full tuition or sticker price. Same with buying a car. If you get a bigger discount on the car, you're going to have a lower price than what the car's sticker price or list price is. And he goes on, he or she goes on to give an example. The current rate at the University of Portland is 54%, up three points, they note. And the pre-pandemic rate is 46%. That's quite a bit of increase. In this case, first-year students are paying 46%. First-year students are paying, on average, 46% of full tuition. Now, all is not lost at Portland. Again, to the data we go. So from the iPads data and from the College Viability app to compile all this, the enrollment for the last eight years is mostly flat, even though it's down 100 students. There's some concern about the admission yield, and you'll recall I'm, I call that a, a popularity indicator. It's down six points from 15% to 9%. But really, Portland College has a really strong graduation rate. At 74 percent. Their endowment is strong at 200 million plus with 70 million growth in the last eight years or so. But here's where they've got issues. Their unfunded institutional grants we're going to call that discounts are up 30 million dollars from 60 million to 90 million over the last eight years. and even with giving away more of the store, they are not as successful as I'm guessing they would like to be. So there continues to be more stories about fall of 2023 enrollment. Almost all are positive. Go figure. No one wants to say enrollment is tanking. But I will say if your college is one of those with no good news, no public relations headlines somewhere about fall 2023 enrollment, be concerned, be very concerned. But it's, it's just not about enrollment. And I've shared this many times. Enrollment itself does not pay the bills. And none of the stories I read or have read reference the tuition discounts being given to students. And there's nothing wrong with giving discounts for students. If that's what the college needs to do, that's great for the students for a variety of reasons. But there's a big concern on the college side. If these colleges continue to give away the store to get students to enroll, at what point does that become a college closing event. We saw it at Iowa Wesleyan this year. The enrollment had gone up 300 students over the last year, but their tuition discounts had been massive, and they closed the doors. And I will also remind those parents and their children looking at colleges to check that four- and six-year graduation rate. If the four-year rate is below 50% and the six-year rate is below 70%, I would ask for guarantees from the college back with some kind of financial commitments that the courses your child needs will be available and that the graduation will not be delayed because a student, because a college didn't offer the courses needed when needed. And finally, I guess I'm going to talk about the West Virginia University story. It is all over the headlines because they have cut lots of stuff. And I'll let you read the story on your own. I'll include a link in the, in the show notes. So, West Virginia University last week, the week of September 11th, approved some controversial cuts and they eliminated 28 programs, cut faculty members from 13 programs, and all of which was an attempt to close a $45 million budget gap. It drew protests, as you might imagine, including those at the board's meeting, I think it was last Friday, when students in a or short-term interrupted the board meeting, and about not quite 6% of the faculty positions are being eliminated, and not quite, just a little over 1% of student majors are being discontinued. This, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, is an overly sensationalized, duh, story. The leadership at West Virginia University made a bet on the future, and they lost the bet. Countless other colleges are adding programs and buildings, and trust me, most, not all, most are going to fail too. The student protests are always going to be fun. We live in a society where you never want to lose a chance to score public relations points, and that's the only points that students scored at West Virginia University. Time is up for this podcast. Again, my name is Gary Stocker with College Viability and this week in College Viability.